And we are back. You're listening to the Independence News Hour, uh, our, well, our three-hour election night special. Um, I'm Olivia Riggio, and I'm here with the Indies Editor-in-Chief, John Tarleton. Um, so now we're turning to Ben Max, Executive Editor at the Gotham Gazette and the co-host of the Max and Murphy Show, which also... Um, airs here on WBAI. They discuss New York politics. And Max has been reporting on and analyzing the mayoral race on his show, as well as um, very prominently on his Twitter, where he's been giving followers play-by-plays on poll data and other developments. Um, So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start with something that I saw you tweeting a lot about last night, which was the 11th hour alliance between Garcia and Yang. Um, and we see it as a strategic move um, brought about by the fact that, you know, ranked choice voting allows for these things. Um, and also aimed at knocking Adams off of the top of voters lists. Um, but I think for progressive voters, it might be backfiring. Uh, we saw, you know, Jumani Williams rescind support for Garcia, um, saying he wouldn't include her in his ranked choice votes. So based on what we know of progressive voters in the city, um, where was it likely Garcia was previously on their list? And um, could th- is this alliance affecting that? Yeah, I think those are some key points. Um, you know, <laughs> There's such an interesting discussion here in terms of progressive voters and the mayoral race that I think is sometimes even a little more complicated than um, than has been discussed. You know, there's sort of different gradients on the progressive left. And I think Catherine Garcia, especially buoyed by the New York Times endorsement, had sort of been really hitting that sort of, uh, you know, New York Times reading um, very often sort of highly educated, very often sort of liberal white voter um, and and really seem to take off with those voters, especially uh, seemingly getting some of the support that might have been going to Scott Stringer previously, who was probably, you know, potentially the favorite for the New York Times editorial board endorsement before um, the accusation against him of sexual misconduct from, from the past. So, um, you know, I think that's where Garcia was sort of uh, really hitting in terms of progressive voters, not really the sort of further left uh, progressives that have been booing a lot of, you know, state legislative candidates, for example, or, you know, Tiffany Caban's uh, Queens District Attorney run of 2019, but, you know, sort of the more liberal left. And so I think um, I don't know that sort of appearing with Andrew Yang was, is going to cost her a lot of that support, but I wonder if it perhaps, you know, puts a little bit of a roadblock for her among some voters who are disappointed to see her, uh, appearing with him, you know, who might've sort of been considering her or under ranked choice voting, it might affect exactly where she was going to get ranked by some of these voters who maybe have Maya Wiley first, or even are still stringer supporters, or maybe still Diane Morales, uh, interested and now Garcia maybe moves around a little. But what, one thing, you know, that I'll add uh, finally on this is that, you know, Garcia was very clear that she was not giving uh, Andrew Yang any type of cross endorsement. She was not telling her supporters to rank him number two or anything like that. She sort of uh, made it clear that it was a bit of a get out the vote, rank choice voting awareness, and also that she wanted to, you know, get reaffirmed as his voter's second choice. Mm-hmm. 
Now, um, I guess on the flip side, talk about why the more progressive left candidates um, like Wiley, Stringer and Morales haven't formed a similar alliance. Hmm. Well, I think there that we may have seen something like that possibly develop if Scott Stringer hadn't been facing the allegations of sexual misconduct that so derailed his campaign. I think, you know, Maya Wiley and Diane Morales uh, either calling for him to, you know, leave the race or basically fully, you know, distancing themselves from him makes it pretty hard for at any point to sort of come back together and coalesce and form some sort of ticket with him. So that really put him on the outs, of course, and as it did with uh, many endorsers who rescinded or who didn't wind up endorsing or, you know, or voters clearly the way the polls have looked for him. And then Morales faced her own crisis around uh, staff treatment and pay, uh, things that happen around potential campaign staff unionization. It seems to be a variety of things that sort of went awry within that campaign. So that made it also challenging for even Maya Wiley and Diane Morales to link up. Wiley seems to have really distanced herself from even calling Morales her number two, which she had been doing uh, earlier in the campaign. So those fractures and those crises in the Stringer and Morales campaigns, while they benefited Wiley in some way by helping her pick up endorsers and momentum, they've also created some of the barriers of a sort of unified left front. And I'll also just add, you know, Catherine Garcia, while on most many of her policies, let's say, especially things related to like policing, is being sort of lumped in more with more moderate candidates. As I said, she's clearly appealing to a lot of sort of more left liberal voters. And that, you know, seems to be creating something of a barrier for Wiley to to really take off, although the trend lines for Wiley in the polls have been very strong over the last few weeks. And Ben, uh, Overall, I mean, the the mayor's race doesn't look so great for progressives or the left. But overall, how well might the broad left, socialists, progressives, et cetera, uh, fare across the board in these elections in uh, down ballot races? Uh, uh, Comptroller, uh, the city council with over 30 uh, term limited seats uh, coming open uh, today. What's your take on on how that might go and and what kind of impact that might have on the future mayor? Yeah, you know, the first thing I've been sort of saying, I guess, um, in this context, cautioning people on the left who are who are concerned about the mayoral races that I really don't think Maya Wiley's out of the running by any means. You know, if she's the sort of favorite on the left endorsed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Working Families Party, which had ranked her third, wound up coming around to her as their as their top choice after dropping Stringer, then Morales, uh, and so on and so on. She's, as I said, been increasing in the polling that we have and sort of peaking at exactly the right time. If it's enough to win, that's very much to be seen. But I I do think that um, this discussion around Eric Adams, Andrew Yang, and Catherine Garcia as the three most likely winners, I think is is misguided um, that, that some people are leaving Wiley out of that conversation because I, I definitely think she's got about as much of a shot as anybody but Adams, uh, who seems to be the clear front runner. So with that caveat um, and the potential for a, a Wiley uh, su- semi-surprise win, um, you know, the one of the biggest contest, you know, one of the biggest uh, proving grounds here for the left is definitely the controller race where Brad Lander is the sort of unqualified um, choice of the left. And I don't mean unqualified for the job, although there's been questions raised about that. I mean, 
unlike the Wiley situation, or even when many on the left were backing Scott Stringer before pulling away, there was always a lot of hesitancy there. And with Brad Lander, it's been, you know, just a really sort of enthusiastic, full-throated support from leftist groups and elected officials and, and such. So he is the left candidate in the controller race. He seems to be the second most likely to win coming into the voting period um, behind Corey Johnson, the city council speaker who, you know, has ridden pretty high name recognition and, uh, and union support uh, for his run for controller after he uh, left the mayoral race a while back. And so, um, you know, there's been some encouraging poll numbers for Lander as he got the New York times editorial board endorsement. He's got advertisements up with, uh, AOC leading the way as a supporter of his for a while now. Those have been on air, and he seems to have gotten some some momentum with a lot of voters undecided in the polls. So that's a big one. I think Lander is probably still considered an underdog as voting uh, concludes, but definitely in the mix in some way. And that would be a pretty big win for the left if he was able to pull that out. In the city council, um, well, I should also note, you know, Jamani Williams is all but certain to uh, be reelected public advocate and win the, the Democratic nomination, which is just as good as, you know, winning the general election in, in the seat of public advocate, unless some sort of scandal happens. And so he will be a citywide elected official, almost certainly uh, continuing on. And then down to the city council, we can we can skip over the borough presidencies, I guess, unless you want to get into those. But I think there's a lot of encouraging signs for the left in the city council races. There's a Democratic Socialist of America, New York City branch slate of six candidates. I would probably say somewhere between three and six of those candidates will are likely to win. Um, a couple of those races are pretty tough for the DSA, but they 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 are trying uh, and we'll see. I wouldn't be shocked if they pulled it out because of their organizing. And then, you know, you have a whole bunch of other leftist groups from the Working Families Party through a number of others that have anywhere between, you know, a dozen and 30 candidates that they're trying to get elected. So I do think there's a lot of opportunity for progressives to to pick up seats in the council and move that body a bit further to the left. I think that's very likely. And Ben, uh, speaking of the Democratic Socialists of America here in New York, with their chapter with 7,000 members and their ability to uh, run a, a tremendous ground game, how has that, in your estimation, uh, impacted or jarred the Democratic Party establishment here in the city? I mean, you had these machine candidates up until a few years ago that uh, used to be able to run uh, for re-election pretty much uncontested. And now they have these newcomers uh, often showing up uh, with legions of volunteers and the ability to raise small dollar donations from across the city and even out well outside of New York. How, how has this shaken up the establishment? Do you have a sense of that? Definitely a, a big, a big shakeup. Uh, you've seen uh, a number of, of top Democrats really seem to take notice of the, the rising power of the DSA. There's clearly fractures within the Democratic Party. And these were, were growing previously, um, even before the, the New York City DSA seemed to really take a big jump with, with some of the state legislative candidates they've elected recently. Um, you know, this was heading in this direction, of course, with the more progressive versus moderate split that's been, you know, uh, happening within the party. But the fact that the DSA has shown themselves to be so effective at winning some of these local races and, and races and, and building power towards being able to, you know, potentially pull off a borough wide 
win or or build up towards you know more citywide organizing power has definitely gotten a lot of attention. It's moved it's moved a number of uh, officials and candidates to the left. Uh, you've seen also some retrenchment. You've seen you know figures from as high as Governor Andrew Cuomo to Representative Hakeem Jeffries and others that um, you know have really taken note and in some ways understood that it's it's something of a war between the the moderate wing and the and the further left wing so there's a lot of shakeup happening there's a lot of of concern among uh, the more machine or traditional or moderate uh, whichever whichever category you want to put them in uh, democrats absolutely Mm-hmm. And before you mentioned that you anticipated at least half of the DSA six um, can- council member council member candidates um, faring well, um, so we heard from a very you know diverse cross section of voters tonight, thanks to our awesome field reporters. Um, but how do we anticipate? not only how do we anticipate these candidates faring, but why, like, why do you say um, at least half and how could that be a barometer for um, how open New Yorkers are to these very left ideas? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting in some ways, um, in some ways the, the DSA slate, let's say for the city council is they're not necessarily saying things that are so different than many of the other sort of progressive left candidates running in a lot of other districts, right? This, these are just candidates who uh, identify as socialists, uh, you know, have really aligned themselves with the the DSA platform and that uh, the, you know, the different branches and localities within the DSA have decided are the candidates that they really want to get behind and use what is still, you know, somewhat limited organizing uh, power and person power to to try to win, you know, some of these some of these seats. And there's obviously assessments of the candidates and the districts and what's what's winnable and what's not. Um, but I think, you know, we're talking about Democratic primaries here, so we're also talking about um, fairly low turnout elections where you can knock on the number of doors you need to and really, you know, really try to uh, get get the votes you need to to win. You know, ranked choice voting creates a, a, a bit of a different playing field, but it's still an equation where, um, you know, there's only so many thousands of, of votes you need to to get over the top. And so you can really target those and you can really work really hard on the ground where it's hard to do that over the over the size of, you know, a borough or, or of course, across the, the five boroughs. So, um, but I think, I think we've clearly seen, and, and one thing I'm interested in watching in the results of the DSA slate here is, does it seem like the pandemic has further uh, sort of radicalized people, right? And I don't say that pejoratively, I say, you know, are people even more open to sort of socialist ideals uh, because the pandemic has devastated things so much and shown some of the gaps in the social safety net and all sorts of issues around uh, healthcare and the economy and so on. Um, uh, so that's that's one thing you know I'm really watching to see, especially in a couple of these districts that might be harder for the DSA to win. You know, Tiffany Caban winning her city council race is is seems like almost a foregone conclusion. You never say never, of course, and I wouldn't be shocked if she lost, but I'd be surprised. Um, but then there's other, you know, other districts where it's a much tougher go. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have a couple of questions. I mean, first of all, I was curious, 
who you saw as the you mentioned you thought at least three would win who you thought the two other DSA candidates were that have a, a strong chance of winning as well as the three that might be in for a, mm-hmm. a, a more challenging uh, uh, contest. Well, you know, there, I mean, there, I'm sort of giving an estimate. I think a lot of them could be fairly close. And then I, I you know, I'm sort of, um, you know, just giving a rough estimate that probably, you know, of the three or four or five, even that are pretty close other than Caban, you know, a couple of those break the way of the DSA and maybe a couple of them don't, but I do think, you know, pretty much all of the others are, are, are very competitive races. So I'm not sure, you know, I would, I would feel that safe, uh, sort of guesstimating a win for anybody other than Caban, who seems like a heavy favorite, especially coming off that district attorney race, obviously. And she, you know, cleared half the field in this city council race when she got in, um, you know, one of the races to watch, in the whole city is the district 35 Brooklyn race, which is the seat currently held by Lori Cumbo. And that's where the DSA is running Michael Hollingsworth, a a tenant activist. And there's a very strong, uh, you know, more, more traditional progressive candidate, Crystal Hudson in the race, who has a lot of labor support. She's been backed by Hakeem Jeffries, who uh, has been very uh, open about his disdain for, for the DSA. Um, and that's one of the most interesting races in the whole city. Uh, you know, Brandon West in City Council District 39, which is currently Brad Lander's seat, used to be Bill de Blasio's seat, including parts of Park Slope. Um, you know, that's a very crowded field, of course, in that political hotbed of, of the Park Slope area. Um, he's probably got a, a pretty uphill road there with a number of other, you know, candidates who've had strong roots in the district. That one seems very hard to know where where voters are going to land there. I mean, you have five, six candidates in that race that I could see winning. Um, so a lot of a lot of complicated dynamics in these races. And like I said, ranked choice voting really, um, you know, it, it'll be very interesting to see where the DSA candidates fall in terms of is this a situation where the DSA candidates get a lot of first place votes, but but there's a lot of other voters who are not that comfortable with DSA candidates and they don't rank them second or third. And the DSA candidates even potentially lead, you know, lead the first place votes, but then lose in the instant runoff. That would be very interesting to see and, and to gauge, um, you know, where the electorate is at. I don't know that that will happen. It's just an interesting thing to watch. Right. I have a question about kind of like the way city council works. I mean, once we get past these elections and people are seated, um, I mean, there will clearly be, you know, progressives and maybe, you know, some socialists on the city council, probably not a majority, but a, a significant block. But one thing I've been kind of curious about is like once people get into an institution like city council, I think it's the same in Congress where you, you, know, you have a, a, a leadership and, and somebody comes in as a city council person, even if they come in as a block like with DSA, how how much does like having to sort of engage with like the leadership and the, and the institution itself, um, uh, you know, blunt some of that radicalism and, and how with city council people who are elected, who come in, uh, you know, with a strong left-wing platform, how, how can they sort of, uh, color outside the line, so to speak, and, and, and maintain a sort of a more radical politics while still being effective, inside that institution because they obviously have constituents that want them to, you know, deliver benefits for their district and, and things like that. Um, how do, 
how do, how do you how do they maintain a, a balance and, and be effective at both at being both radical and delivering <laughs> for their district? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Uh, this is a little bit of a of a to each their own. There's different paths to do this. You know, watching the city council over the last almost decade uh, pretty closely, you know, I've seen different different council members do it different ways. Not even you know DSA council members, but just um, you know, there's people like. For example, Jamani Williams, you know, who's in the council where if you uh, develop relationships, if you play, you know, the strategy right, if you make enough noise, if you can command enough media attention, if you hit the right, you know, the right notes in terms of sort of where the city and the politics are that you're pressing on the right issues, you know, you can get a lot done even if the speaker finds you irritating. Um, One of the best ways to get things done in the city council, of course, is to have the favor of the of the speaker and one of the biggest things that's going to unfold after these elections is figuring out who the next city council speaker is and that's where it will really matter whether six of the six dsa candidates win or two of the six dsa candidates win or whatever the number winds up being because if uh if for example they all win and something like 12 percent of the city council's 51 seats are held by you know, DSA elected members, well, that's, you know, that's going to change the equation of some of the politics of the city council. Uh, if it's, if it's much different than that, then, then, it, then it won't be quite as powerful uh, of, a, of a little caucus. Um, you know, but, but as I was saying before, there will be a number of progressive council members who are not necessarily DSA candidates who, who will also be, you know, pushing things further to the left in the next uh, council. But one of the one of the most uh, interesting things to watch will be what the different blocks are helping to determine the next speaker of the council. Um, and then once that is determined, there's a lot of individual choices, coalition building, et cetera, that happens for these council members to find their, you know, to find their path and try to affect change either, either as rabble rousers who are using the media more or using the inside channels more. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight, Ben Max, uh, executive editor at the Gotham Gazette. Where can people go um, if they want to follow you on Twitter, listen to your podcast, um, obviously read your work on the Gotham Gazette, which has been doing great coverage of thank the you. election? Uh, GothamGazette.com is the best place to go. If you're looking for something specific, just Google Gotham Gazette and whatever it is you're looking for. And I'm at tweet Ben Max on Twitter and we'll leave, we'll leave it there. Great. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ben. So we're going to have to leave here very quickly, but I just want to encourage your listeners. If you enjoy listening to tonight's special election coverage, please support WBAI so we can keep this kind of coverage coming to you. All sorts of great programs on this station. Call 212-209-2950, or give number two WBAI.org. Become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. All sorts of great benefits. And you get to keep community radio on the air, beaming across the New York City area. I'm John Tarleton from The Independent. I thank everybody who uh, helped us with this broadcast. Uh, our co-host, Olivia Riggio and uh, Natasha Santos, our field reporters, Amavik Gagarian. Julia Thomas, Zion Decato, Roman Broskowski, also Kenneth Lopez provided uh, sound bites in our headlines, and our uh, board engineers uh, Reggie Johnson and Max uh, 